No matter what your circumstances may be, you can make internal and sometimes external choices that will make a major difference in your life for good. This message is the fourth in the series, The Power of Personal Choices. The message is entitled, Choose to Change. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. So grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we get ready to dive into today's message. We're involved in this wonderful series entitled Choices, Making Personal Choices in Your Life, The Power of Those Choices. And today we're going to talk about choosing to change, making some choices about change in our lives. God has given you this wonderful gift called a free will. And by this free will, you get to choose how you will live your life. And if you make the right choices, your life improves. If you make the wrong choices, you suffer the consequences of, the, of those, those choices. And part of what we're learning in this series is how to make the right big choices in life. Because if you can make the right big choices, a lot of the smaller choices will fall into place. And one of those big choices that you have to learn to make is the choice to change. We're looking at some characters in the Old Testament that surround the story of a man by the name of Samuel, a prophet and a priest in Israel at a very critical time in history. And in just a moment, we're going to read a part of that story. Let me set up the story for you before I read it from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 8 through 18. The story of Samuel really starts with his father, Elkanah, and his mother, Hannah. Elkanah was a man that loved God and worshipped God in the midst of a time when Israel was not following God very closely, and so he is a unique person in and of himself. Hannah, his wife, although he loved her dearly, Hannah could not have children, and so she was very, very upset about that. For many years, she'd suffered with this, and, and now, on this particular part of the story, in chapter uh, 1 of 1 Samuel, we find that Elkanah and Hannah are at the house of the Lord in Shiloh at the tabernacle of worship, and at that point, Hannah is crying out to God for a miracle in her life. And let me pick up the story, and let's take a look. Our focus today is going to be upon Eli and some choices he made to change in his life. Her husband, that's Hannah's husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my heart or my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Eli is the center of attention today in our study, and Eli was what we might call the senior priest at Shiloh, at the tabernacle of the Lord in Shiloh. Hophni and Phinehas, his sons, were also priests there, but Eli is the main man. He's the man in charge of the worship process there at Shiloh, and this has become, this was the appointed place of worship in Israel at this particular time. And Eli, as you see him here, and many times you will see him in the book of 1 Samuel, as being a man who is fairly weak and fairly uh, out of touch with God, as you see here in this story. He's kind of out of touch with what's going on. 
And he looks at Hannah as she's there in the area of the tabernacle after uh, Elkanah has left and she's there alone because she stays behind to pray about this pain in her heart. And she was feeling so deeply troubled by what was going on in her life, her inability to have children, that she was crying out to God, but in a very interesting way, in a way maybe that you can relate to. She was, she was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but there were, there were no words coming out of her mouth. There was nothing that was, in, there was, nothing that was audible. She could not be heard. And that was either for the case of privacy. She didn't want anybody else to hear what she was praying. Or, uh, or else maybe she just didn't, couldn't get the words out. Aren't you glad that God can hear you even when you don't get the words out? Isn't that good to know? Sometimes you just pray that way. You can't even get words out. And that's what's going on with Hannah at this moment. And there are tears that are coming from her eyes. And she's just feeling all this pain inside of her. And she's faced this year after year. And this is sort of the pinnacle moment that she's coming to. That she wants to see this thing resolved in her life. And so she's praying out of great, great agony and, and, and difficulty. Now, Eli is in the temple, in the tabernacle area. And he sees her praying. He sees this going on. But Eli totally misses this. He completely misses the point here. He misses the situation, and he accuses her of being drunk. Now, think about that for a moment. You're already in deep pain, and here is your pastor saying, what's going on? You drunk? And here she is crying out to God in the presence of God, and that was almost imperceivable for Eli to think that she would have been that kind of woman to be doing that in the presence of God, worshiping in this atmosphere, but he misses the mark. He does not grasp the reality. He doesn't understand what's going on. He is that spiritually inept. He is that spiritually insensitive in this moment. He doesn't get it. And, and Hannah answers back, says, no, I'm not that kind of woman, I'm not doing that, I'm not drunk, but I'm in deep agony, I'm in deep pain. And there in that moment, here's what I want you to see, this is, this is one of the good things about Eli, there in that moment, as soon as he realized what the truth was, what did he do? He changed his mind, he changed his thinking, he changed his perspective of the entire situation. There are a lot of bad things that I could say about Eli, there are a lot of things that he doesn't do well. But one thing that you do note about him is that he had the capacity and the willingness to change. He made a wise decision when confronted with truth that allowed him to change his perspective. And one of the greatest things that can happen in life is that you and I need to be changeable people as long as we're changing for the right things. You know, there's so many people in life that are to totally unchangeable. You couldn't change them for anything. But I will tell you that if you're going to follow God, you have to become a changeable person. I came across a video recently that kind of illustrates how much change has gone on in the world. And I'm not sure if you're a racing fan or not, but um, anybody know, like on races, how you have pit stops? You know what the pit stops are? Raise your hand. You know what a pit stop is? The car comes in for some gas and those kind of things. And this little video shows you how much our world has changed uh, since the 1950s to the 2000s. So let's take a watch, take a look at a pit stop in 1950 and a pit stop in 2013. Take a look at this. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Lou Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's a tense time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch.
Anybody getting nervous? This is a fast pit stop. The tires are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 seconds after he stops. change in the last few years. Huh? <laughs> it's amazing when you stop for a moment and look where we were and where we are today, how much change transpires in the world around us. But sadly, a lot of people in their own character in their lives, they're never changing. So I want to talk to you today about how you can make the changes that are necessary in your life and how do we choose to change. Let me give you five reasons to change. Are you ready for this this morning? Well, you've underwhelmed me. Are you ready for this this morning? Huh? Five reasons to change. Number one, the first reason to change is you need to choose to change when you're confronted with what is right and with what is true. Anytime that you're confronted with what is right versus what is wrong and what is true versus what is a lie, you need to make some changes in your life. The Bible has a word for this. When you and I gain truth that exposes lies in us, when we gain understanding that shows us what is right versus what is wrong in our lives, the Bible says that you and I are called to do something, and the word is repent. Say that word with me, repent. Oftentimes, we hear the word repent. We think of that word as primarily a guy on the side of a sidewalk with a big sign, repent, or you're going to hell, and that's not what I'm talking about. That might very well be true, but it's not what I'm talking about today. The word repentance in the Bible is a word that simply means this. The actual Greek word is metanoia, and the meaning of that word is to change your mind or to change the way that you think. And the primary way that we are exposed to what is right and what is true is by the Word of God. God's Word is the ruler by which we measure our lives. And so the more of God's Word we get in us, the more truth we understand and the more uh, of what is right and wrong that we understand, and then our response should be a response response of repentance. We say, God, I'm going to change my mind so that I'm lining up with what you say is right and what you say is true. That's why I want to once again today just encourage you of the importance of getting this book into your heart and life. This book is the most important book in your library. It's the most important book for your life. This book will tell you how to live. The principles of God's Word and the laws in God's Word will show you the way to live. But you, can't, you will not even understand what is right and what is true without the investment of time and energy in this book called the Bible. I am so grateful that God has given us this book. Aren't you? Okay. That we can look into it every day of our lives. And I hope that you're doing so. That each day you take some time to read something from God's Word so it has the opportunity of getting into you so that a repentance can happen in and through you. Now you say, well, how do I read the Bible every day? Let me tell you very simply how I do it. 
the way I read the Bible each day is simply this. I take time to open up the Scriptures. I have a consistent plan of where, where I'm reading from God's Word. And what I will do is I will just I will read until something really grabs me. And there's a little point. I, I, this is the phrase I use is read to feed. Say it with me. Read to feed. And so I read until I begin to be fed by something. And so it might be a chapter. It might be two chapters. It might sometimes I've read an entire book in my devotion time. Sometimes it's just one little verse. Sometimes it's just a part of a verse. This last week, uh, as I was doing my devotions, I'm in the book of Ephesians right now in my own devotional time, one of the books I'm in. And I, I only read just a little part of a verse. There was something there that was feeding me and challenging me to think about it more. And so it's not the volume, the amounts of Scripture that you read. It's getting something in you that helps you understand what God's doing in your word, in your life, okay? And so I would encourage you, if you're not reading your Bible, to take some time to read it to, and to get a good translation that you can understand. You don't need to read the King James Version, okay? Sometimes the King James Version, if you like the King James Version, no, no problem with it, but I'm not sure most of us speak Elizabethan English anymore. Uh, but I would encourage you to get something like the New Living Translation or New International Version and just let it be a verse or even as you're getting started as a paraphrase called the Message Paraphrase. That's a good place to start. It's not a translation per se, but it is a good place to start in getting God's Word into your life because only when you get the word in you, can you have the repentance necessary to make the choice to change? Listen to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Notice that word. What is he doing? He's preaching, so he's communicating the word of God. That's what preaching is. Preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, what's the next word? Repent, for the kingdom of the heaven has come near. Notice what comes first. The repentance doesn't come first. What comes first? The preaching, right? The word is what leads you to repentance. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Notice the next word, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Here's what I want you to see. You get the word in you that exposes what is right and wrong, what is true and what is a lie. And then our choice is to say, God, I'm going to change my mind to think the way you think and to live the way you've called me to live. And that's called repentance. And then God says, now that you've done that, you have prepared a way for me to work in your heart and your life. So repentance is something that you do so God can work in you. There are other scriptures there that you can take a look at later, but I want to encourage you to make the decision that when you're confronted, confronted with what is right and what is true, that you're going to choose to change your mind. Number two, choose to change your mind when you're convicted by the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ into your life and put him in charge of your life, the Holy Spirit actually comes to live inside of you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's incredible to think about. Now, let me give you a little theology here so you'll understand the, uh, the beauty of this. Sort of some backbone to the beauty. God is one God expressed in three persons. We don't worship multiple gods. We worship one God. There's only, we're, we're monotheistic as Christians. We worship one God, but he is expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So one in three, three in one. We are Trinitarian. As being Trinitarian, it means there's one God expressed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives, the Holy Spirit, right there in that moment, when you say, Jesus Christ, come into my life and take charge of me, I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose from the grave. In that very moment, when you confess your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God 
immediately comes inside of you. Isn't that wonderful to know? And now at that point, the Spirit of God is in you, which means that God is in you, right? Now, here's, the, here, here, here's what's so valuable, because now you not only have the Word of God externally to speak to you, but you have the Holy Spirit internally in you to help you understand the Word. So don't ever try to read the Bible without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can only understand the Bible with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the good news is, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. You can lean on the Holy Spirit to help you understand God's Word. Why is why, why is this necessary? I'll give you three reasons. Because the Holy Spirit gives you the power to live for God. You'll never be able to make the change unless the Holy Spirit's working in you. The Bible says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He guides you into truth. The Bible says that when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So it's the Spirit's work to guide you into truth. And then He convicts us of sin. The Bible says in John 16, verse 8, Jesus said when He, the Holy Spirit, comes, He will convict the world of its sin. And so here's what you need to see. You accept Jesus as Lord of your life. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. You take the Bible, begin to read it, saying, Holy Spirit, help me to understand what the Scripture is saying to me. I need to understand this so that I can see what is right and what is wrong. Because, by the way, there is a right and there's a wrong. What is true and what is a lie. So I want you to give me, guide me into this truth. And now that I understand this truth, give me the power to live out what you've called me to do as you convict me in my life. And I will tell you something else. Not only will this happen as you're reading the Bible, but it'll also happen to you even just as you're living your daily life. If you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, He will make you aware of things in your life that need to change. But you have to listen to Him. You have to pay close attention to Him. There'll be times if you'll listen to God, that little voice of the Holy Spirit in you, that He will correct an attitude in you. You'll, you'll have an attitude and the Holy Spirit will say, you know, I don't, I don't like that attitude. Would you change? That grieves me. There'll be times the Holy Spirit will convict you of maybe a word that you said, a word that you spoke, or something you said to someone that was not the best thing to say. You'll feel that little thing inside of you say, that wasn't right, that was wrong. Or even before you say it, there'll be a conviction that comes. Or He will convict you of hearing the wrong thing. Sometimes you can be listening to things you shouldn't listen to. And you can, you can defile yourself spiritually because you're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit, following the guidelines of His direction in your life. But the key is you and I need to change when we're confronted with this book or when we're confronted with the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you because God is always right. Amen? If God is saying change this, it means it's necessary for our benefit and for our growth to change. So choose to change. Make the choice that you're going to do that and learn how to be still and listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, I don't think I can hear God's voice. Yes, you can. You can hear the voice of God. I promise you that He will convict you. He'll let you know when you're doing things wrong if you'll listen. Let me say something else about that. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, He convicts you. He doesn't condemn you. It's a really big difference. Condemnation is the beating down and make you, making you feel like you're a big failure. You'll never make it again. You're a horrible Christian. That's not God talking to you. You know who that is? It's either, it's either Satan or yourself, okay? Sometimes Satan doesn't have to pay, pay. We do it to ourselves, right, okay? We beat ourselves up and see you know, how miserable we are. But many times Satan will come along and try to make you miserable about something you've done wrong. God doesn't do that. God always lifts you up and says, that was wrong, but I can help you do it better. And he gives you a fresh start in your life. So we must be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Number three, third time that you and I need to change is when you and I are convinced that it would genuinely please God and bless other people. 
when you become convinced that if I could just do this, it would please God for me to do this, and it would be also a blessing to other people. Some things are not necessarily a matter of sin, but they're just a matter of, of wisdom. They're a matter of something that's better in your life. It may not be that you're about to do something that's wrong, but it's that God says, you know what, that's not wrong, but I have something better for you. That's not necessarily bad, but it's not all that you could be. And I've had God challenge me at times in my life, continually, frequently, I should say, that, that he challenges me to make some decisions in my life that are not related to necessarily uh, what is right or wrong or sin or not sin, but just what's better, what's better for me and what's better for the people around me. That's what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. Listen to this. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, and he's talking about food here, uh, food sacrificed or offered to idols and, and how it could offend other Christians. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good, what you know is good, be spoken of as evil. You getting that? Okay. So it's not necessarily evil, but it could be spoken of as evil, Right? For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore, let us, that's us as believers, make every effort to lead to what? Peace and mutual edification. So that is make an effort, every effort, to do what you can, not only just to please God, but to also bring peace and edification to the people around you. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is, wrong, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that would cause your brother or sister to fall. Notice chapter 15, verse 2. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, for their good to build them up. Anytime that you sense that some action or some change in your life would please God or bless other people, you should change. Let me give you a little story here. By the way, this story is about me. It's not about you, so it's about me. Just tell your neighbor it's about him, okay? Just say it's about him, okay? Very important. I grew up in a family uh, where uh, we, we, were, we had no alcohol in the home at all, ever. We didn't, there was no kind of alcoholic beverage at all in our family, ever. Never had in our home, ever. In fact, we would not even oftentimes go to restaurants that would serve it, which would be almost impossible in today's world. But when I grew older, I, I had to make a decision in my own life for that one. What will I do? How, what will my convictions be about that particular subject, that particular matter? Now, by the way, this is about, who's it about? I mean, okay, I'm not here to, to come down on you. Or I'm not here to tell you something today to beat you over the head. With. I'm just telling you me, okay? Okay? You guys alive today? I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure I, you know I am talking to you, right? You know that, right, Okay. And so I had to make a decision. I, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult now. I've got to decide. I know what my family did, but I need to decide on my own. What will be my convictions about this particular topic? How will I raise my family? What will I live by? And I made the decision, my wife and I made the decision, that alcohol would not be a part of our home either. And here's the reason why. Not just because there are reasons, I think, in the Bible that would point to the cautions related to it and concerns about it, but it went beyond that for me. All those, those are enough. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but, but be filled with the Spirit. So there's some scripture verses related to that. Let me give you my personal related aspect of this. Number one, the reason I decided I didn't want to have any alcohol in my life 
Because I didn't know my vulnerability to it. I don't know my vulnerability to it. I have no idea, okay? I don't know if I have an addictive personality or not. I sure love coffee a lot, okay? It's hard for me to break that habit, okay? So I thought, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't want to do anything that might put me up for risk for some kind of addiction in my life because I'd seen so many people suffering from addictions that just ruined their lives. I mean, just made a big mess of their lives. So I didn't want to make me vulnerable to that, okay? I didn't want to set an environment in our family where I was giving approval potentially to something that could ruin one of my children or one of my grandchildren. I didn't want to do that. I just didn't want to do that, okay? Again, who's this about? It's about me. Okay? I'm, not, I'm not giving you my... I'm not telling you that your convictions have to be my convictions. I'm telling you my convictions, okay? This is what I came to in my own life. And then also I knew that even if I could handle that issue well in my life, that I did not want to be a deterrent to other people because I've worked with enough people throughout the, my life to know that there are families that are ruined by, 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 by alcohol and destroyed. By, and I've seen and tried to pick up the pieces so many times of families that are just torn apart and just situations that are horrible, all because of that thing, that one thing, okay? It just ruins lives so many times. And I did not want to have something that I would do that would potentially influence someone else to go down that pathway in a way that could harm them. And so we made the decision. So I will never be in a restaurant with an alcoholic beverage sitting in front of me. First of all, because it's my conviction personally. And then second of all, because I care about other people in such a way as I don't want somebody walking by my table and seeing it there and saying, well, if it's okay for Pastor Dale, it must be okay for me, and it ruins their life. So I, I, I care enough about my influence on other people that I don't want to do something that could damage their life. You, you following me this morning, okay? So I changed, I made a change in my life, not from something that I wasn't doing, but I made a choice. Maybe it's a better thing to say. I made a choice in my life as to how I would live my life, not so much on the basis of, is it right or is it wrong? Let's go down a really big argument about, is it okay to drink out? I'm not going to go there. I can go there if you want me to. I can debate you very well on that subject, okay? If you want to stay an hour after the 1 o'clock service, I'll do it for you, okay? I'll take you down through the scriptures. It can point to you a pretty good case against it, okay? But I'm not here to do it. I mean, that's not what I'm about today. What I'm about today is telling you that you need to look at your life and say, not only what's, what's good for me, but what am I doing that might affect or influence the people around me? And are you willing, here's the question, are you willing to change something in your life for the sake of being a blessing to someone else? It may not necessarily be right or wrong, but it's something that is wiser or better for, your, for either your life or for the sake of somebody else. Some of those choices are necessary for growing in God. Everybody good? Who was this story about? No, it was about you. No. It was a lesson for all of us, all right? Got it? Number four. Choose to change when you're hindering or resisting godly progress. If you're in the way of godly progress, here's God's word for you. Get out of the way. Amen? Because God is all about advancing His kingdom. He's all about advancing His purpose. And the advance of God's kingdom is always forward. Okay? It's always forward. God doesn't go backward. God goes forward. Okay? And this is important. 
that you need to make choices in your life so that you're, co- you're cooperating with the forward movement of God's work and God's will in, in the world. And that means that you are not standing in the way, that you're not on the wrong team, that you're on the right team, that you are cooperating and contributing to the advancement of God's kingdom. You're not hindering or resisting God's will or God's work in the world. Let me take you to Numbers chapter 14 and tell you a quick story here after I read this. Numbers 14, in fact, let me set up the story for you before I read it. It'll make more sense to you, these passages. Uh, Moses had led the children of Israel from Egypt. They're heading toward the promised land. They're just about to enter into the promised land. And he says, now before we go in, I want you to, I want to send 12 spies just to check out the land and see how it is. And he sends 12 spies in and he brings them back and they, they give a report of what they've seen in the promised land of Canaan. The guys come back and 10 of them say, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. It is such a beautiful land. You should see, you should see the fruit section over there. It's incredible. I mean, the grapes are like this, and it's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's the most beautiful land we've ever seen. But there are giants over there. We don't think it's a good idea to go in. We know that God said he wanted to give us the land, but we don't think it's a good idea. But we don't think we can do it. But we think the giants are stronger than we are. But we just don't want to be a part of this. But, 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 but. And here's what happened. Read, it, read with me now, or let me read it for you. In chapter 14 of Numbers, verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall, every one of you twenty years old or more who was counted in the census and has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. Out of the twelve spies, only two of them said, we can do this, God's going to help us. That was Joshua and Caleb. And here's what happened. The other ten, their, their bad spirit affected the entire multitude of people. All the, the majority of everyone else in Israel said, well, if these ten guys say we can't do it, can't do it. And God said, you know what? You're grumbling against me. You don't believe that I can do this. You're standing in the way. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you on a journey in the wilderness. And everybody that's 20 years and older, you're going to die in the wilderness. And I want you to see this. Because they stood in opposition. They wouldn't change, would they? They would not change and believe that God could help them enter a promised land. Because they wouldn't change their opinion of what God could do. He let them walk around a wilderness for 40 years. For four decades they walked until all of those that were 20 years and older passed away. They wasted 40 years. Dear ones, I don't want you to waste 40 years of your life. I don't want you to waste one year of your life. And I promise you one of the ways that you can avoid wasting time with God is by being changeable. Because if you're, if you're irretractable, if you're unchangeable, you, you waste time. Because you're, you're spinning your wheels. And I tell you, not only do you waste time for you, you waste time for other people. They're trying to get moving on. And you're just sitting back and you're resisting. And you're not helping the process go forward. You know, you're actually in the way. Okay? And so I'm not, the way you get out of the way is change, right? 
And you make the choice, I'm going to change. And what happened was it delayed the process of entering the promised land, not only for those that were 20 years and older, but also for their children. They couldn't get where they needed to be because their, their dads and moms had not done what they needed to do. So here's the good news. If you'll make the changes that are necessary in your life, you'll pave a better pathway for your kids and your grandkids. Amen? If you'll do what you need to do in your generation, it'll be easier for the next generation coming behind you. But make the decision. Change any time that you're in the way of God's work. And that kind of ties into my last point here. And with this, we're going to wrap up. When You need to change when by nature you're naysaying, stubborn, or just plain old cantankerous. If these describe you, those words describe you, naysaying, I'll explain that in a moment, stubborn or cantankerous, you know what you need to do? What's the word of the day? Change, okay? Naysaying is a person who is always negative. That they lean toward the negative. They lean toward what can't be done. They lean toward what is not possible. They lean toward this negativity of mindset. I want to remind you today, our God is a positive God, okay? He's not a negative God. God is a positive God. He, 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 he brings blessing to life. He brings can do to life. And so you and I, when we get into the naysaying spirit, that spirit that's negative, we need to say, you know what, this is not God. This is not godly to live this way. And so I'm going to adjust my attitude to become a positive person instead of waking up in the morning and saying, good Lord, it's morning. Wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. There's a really big difference in those two phrases, right? One starts in a negative and one starts with a positive. And if you're stubborn, I know there's nobody here today like that. But if you're just difficult to deal with, if you're unwilling to yield, if there's a stubbornness inside of you, would you just say, God, help me let go of that stubbornness of heart and mind. If you're stubborn, you need to change. If you're negative, you need to change. If you're cantankerous you need to change you know what a cantankerous person is you don't know what it is they're just contentious they're, they're fighting all the time they're always uh, creating trouble around them and the reason that cantankerous people create trouble around them is because trouble is in them okay whatever's in you happens around you and so cantankerous people you need to get the trouble out of you and if you'll get the trouble out of you trouble will not be around you so make the decision to change. One of the greatest choices, we're talking about personal choices in this series. Eli, what did he do when he was confronted with the truth? What did he do? He changed. He didn't stay in his same attitude. He changed with the truth that was presented. And the same should be true for each one of us. Make the decision in life. I'm going to be a changeable person. When I see truth that exposes my lies, I'm going to change. When I see right that exposes where I'm wrong, I'm going to change. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, I'm going to change. When I can see something I can do to be a better blessing to the people around me, I'm going to change. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to our hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name that you'll take this word and massage it deeply into our spirits. I pray that you would help us to become changeable people. God, we know that one of the greatest choices that we can ever make in life is the choice to be able to change when you call us to change. We trust you to help us in the power of the Holy Spirit to do this because, Lord, we know that you have good in store for us if we'll cooperate with you. For that, we thank you in Jesus' name.
thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.